Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. Good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, today, we will be carrying on the series that we've been talking about that Pastor started a couple weeks ago on uh, Perfectly Abnormal. And that is the thought and the idea that <clears throat> as men and women of God, we're called to be abnormal. And uh, we are a marvel to this world. And there's many things about our faith that they don't understand. A lot of it, uh, sometimes we don't understand, <clears throat> and that's okay. But we're called in this world to be abnormal. The Bible calls us a peculiar people, and we're called to stand out. And one of the grave dangers that the church is entering into in today is that we are afraid to be abnormal. And we've taken on cultures of the world in some ways, and we've done everything that we can not to be labeled abnormal, when really and truthfully, that's what God has called us to be. And John 15 and 18 and 19 says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And the world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer a part of the world, and I chose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. Being abnormal comes with a cost, amen? And sometimes that cost is difficult. Sometimes Jesus says that that cost is hatred. But if they hated him, they're definitely going to hate us, and that's okay. Because we were always called to stand out, and we were never called to be normal. We were called to be abnormal, amen? And so, <clears throat> if you grew up in a big family like I did, you could sit, or I could sit on the couch, and I could hear somebody coming up the hallway, and just by the way that they walked, I knew which one it was. The cadence of their walk, how loud it was, I could hear it from them coughing, sneezing, clearing their throat. I could be sitting in the front row, and Dad will clear his throat in the back of the church, and I say, yeah, that was Daddy. And so you're probably the same way if you come from a big family. You know, you could sit, and you, you know who's coming. You know who it is just from... Very things that most people wouldn't know. Most people wouldn't hear a cough and say, oh, yeah, that's, that's so-and-so. But when you spend a certain amount of time around somebody, there are certain characteristics that become so identifiable that you know them. And so also growing up in a big family, there's a lot of different ideas, a lot of different personalities, a lot of different opinions, a lot of different interests, and... uh there are certain character traits that apply to everyone, though. Although there's individuality within the family, there are certain traits within each family that are across the board. You can call it values, traits, characteristics, but there are certain things about you that tell the world whose family you come from. We are all individual individuals, and we all have individual personalities and opinions and things. But there are certain things in my family that we all have in common. And I'm sure you'd say the same thing about yourself. And so, our title today is You Sound Like Your Dad. Anybody ever told you that you, you sound like your dad? Usually, no offense, dad, but when my wife tells me I sound like my dad, it is not a good thing. Usually, usually, I'm going to put daddy on blast today, but it's usually a very negative connotation. And so uh, there are certain characteristics that you take from your father. And so when you grow up, more and more every day I'll say something, I'm like, man, if that wasn't John Weeks, I don't know what was. And that ain't good. So 
The sad truth of the matter is that even Dr. Rick cannot keep us from becoming our parents. Even Dr. Rick cannot keep us from growing up and having certain characteristics of our parents. But I say all that to say this, in the same way, when we're born into the family of God and we receive the spirit of adoption, there are certain characteristics of our father that we are to take on. And if we do not, then we are not identifiable. And that's when we become normal. And the thing that makes us abnormal is that we have characteristics of our heavenly father. And we are to have characteristics that make us identifiable to the world. If there was a rumor going around your workplace that you were a Christian, would people believe it? Is it even possible to be a rumor or have you made it so evident that it's clear? And so I would say that when we're truly being abnormal, we don't even have to share the gospel for people to know who our father is. It's in our walk. It's in our talk. It's in everything about our life that people know there's something different about him. They know we're abnormal and they know who our heavenly father is. And so when we're truly walking the way that God called us to walk, there are certain identifiable characteristics. And these are five identifiable characteristics of a child of God. Number one is our love. First John 3 and 10 says this. It says, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God. That's pretty straightforward. Especially the one who does not love his brother or his sister. And so it says the way that we are become obvious is our love. And I would say that this is the most identifiable characteristic of a child of God is our love. It is the first thing about you that people will notice that's abnormal. It's the first thing that people will notice about you that makes us different. And it says it's obvious. That means it's our fruit. And our fruit is in what we say. Our fruit is in what we do. And so a pear tree will never produce apples. And so if you tell me you are a pear tree, I'm going to expect to see pears. But if I see apples, I cannot come to the realization that you are a pear tree. And so the Bible says that we are judged by the fruit that we bear. And so that means when we're connected to the vine, we automatically reproduce fruit that is characterized by the vine that we're attached to. And 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 through 3 says this. It says, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And so that means in God's eyes, everything that I could ever possibly do for him, if I do not do it in love, it means nothing. It has no value. I can go... The Bible says that you can cast out demons in Jesus' names and, and do all these things, but you can still never know him. And so the way that it is evident that we know him is through our love. And so love is the most identifiable characteristic of a child of God. Love is what sets us apart. And love is truly abnormal to the world. They cannot wrap their mind around how we love simply because he first loved us. And we love others unconditionally. And this is what John 13 and 35 says. 
It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so we are characterized around the people around us know that we are a child of God, that we're his father because we have the characteristic of love. And so it's talked a lot in the world. Love is talked a lot about in the world. But what love is in the world is normal. We have an abnormal kind of love. And so when we say love, it can be normal. But what the world calls love is not really love. It's totally conditional. It's based on what can you do for me. And it's all self-centered. It's based on me. And so if you say love is abnormal, people would argue with you. No, I love a lot of people. But I would say that the Bible says that God is love. And so if we do not know God, we cannot know true love. And if we do not know God, we cannot truly know how to love the people around us. And that's what's identifiable about us. And so the difference between worldly love and godly love is this. Number one. Godly and Christian love is rooted in the cross of Christ. That's where it all starts. That's where it stems from. That's what causes me to love people even when they make it difficult. (laughs) Even when I make it difficult for other people is because it's not rooted in them. It's rooted in the cross of Christ. And that act of love that he showed me, that is what fuels me to do what I do for other people. And number two, it is sustained and shaped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person who allows us and helps us to show the love of Christ. The Holy Spirit is He who helps us go and show the love of Christ, be the love of Christ. And number three, it is shown for the glory of the Father. And so not only is the source different and not only is that which sustains it different, the very goal is different. I love people simply for the glory of God. I love people simply so that they would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We love people with the only goal in mind is that they would come to know what we've known. Amen? That they would come to know that our side is awesome. Amen? And so we do that through our love. We do that through, that's the identifying factor is our love. And so in that, all three persons of the Godhead are manifested. It's the source. It's what sustains it, and it's the goal of our love. And so the source is different, the sustaining power is different, and the very goal is different. We will be known by the way that we love. We will be known by the way that we show the world love around us. And so no matter what we do for God, it doesn't matter if we don't do it in love. We can speak the truth but not speak it in love, and it doesn't matter. We can Help people, but do it with wrong motives, and if we don't do it in love, then it doesn't matter. That's what God's Word tells us. And so we'll be known by the way we love. The second characteristic is the witness of the Spirit. That's the second identifiable characteristic of a child of God. And this is what Romans 8 and 16 says. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And so the Greek word used here for bears witness means to testify jointly or confirm. So it's like someone standing up in court and backing up what you said as a witness. And so the Holy Spirit, basically, he's the one who stands up in court and says, I testify that this truly is a child of God. I am the seal. I am the one who represents. I come into agreement with it. I back it up that this is a child of God. And so in this, Paul uses a picture of Roman adoption. And he says that God's Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we truly are his children. 
The adoption ceremony in this time was carried out in the presence of seven witnesses. So suppose the adopting father died and there was some dispute about the right of the adopted son to inherit. And one or more of the seven witnesses stepped forward and swore that the adoption was genuine. Thus, the right of the adopted person was guaranteed, and he entered into his inheritance. So Paul is saying it's the Holy Spirit who himself who is our witness that we are a child of God. The Bible calls the Spirit the Spirit of adoption. It is through the Holy Spirit that I'm sealed. It's through the Holy Spirit that he, comes, he testifies jointly, and he says, I come into agreement that this is a child of God. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. What better testimony can we have than that of these two witnesses? First of our own spirit, and then of the Holy Spirit himself, that we are the children of God. Note that this is not spoken concerning everyone. The doctrine of the universal fatherhood of God is a doctrine of the flesh, and not of the spirit, and it's not taught anywhere in the word of God. And so what he's talking about right there, the doctrine of universal fatherhood, is the world would tell us that everyone is a child of God. But Scripture tells us that we have been given the right to become children of God whenever we call out to Him. And we've been given the spirit of adoption, and that's the Holy Spirit. And he says, This is a fatherhood which relates only to those who were born into the new birth and brought into it by an act of grace and adoption. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. This is a special privilege that belongs only to those who are spiritual. And many make the profession of being a child of God. But can your own spirit say that it is true? And is there in addition to the witness of the Spirit within you that it is true? If not, unless there is a witness to our testimony, it avails nothing. Our Lord Jesus Christ even said, If I bear myself of witness, my witness is not true. And if he chooses to put himself on a level, as it were, with the rest of humanity in that aspect, we cannot expect that our witness will stand for it as alone. No, there must be the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the child of God. And so what he's saying is we have the Holy Spirit who testifies jointly. He comes into agreement with the fact that we are the child of God. So you want to talk about abnormal. Abnormal to the world is the fact that I receive the very Spirit of God, and that is what gives me the right to become adopted. That is the seal. Paul says it's the seal. The Holy Spirit is the seal, the brand that says I belong to God. And so out of all of the characteristics of a child of God, this is probably the hardest one for the world to wrap its brain around, is that I have the very Spirit of God living inside of me. And that is the Spirit that gives me the right to become the child of God. That is the Spirit who I have been given the Spirit of adoption, and He is the Holy Spirit. Number three, the third identifiable characteristic of a child of God is the light of Christ. So Jesus tells us in John 8 and 12, he says, I am the light of the world. And then John 9 and 5, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he tells the disciples in Matthew, you are the light of the world. And so is he, is he contradicting himself in all of this? The reason that he says all of those things is, if you remember when he's baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and descended upon him like a dove. And at this time, the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on man. There was times in the Old Testament where people would be anointed with the Holy Spirit to carry out a specific goal, but nobody had the indwelling of the Spirit yet because we're not in the New Testament yet. Or we're in the New Testament, but Jesus hasn't ascended into heaven. And so the dove 
which is the Holy Spirit, descends on Jesus, and he has at that moment the full embodiment of the Holy Spirit. And so then he says, I am the light of the world. And that is because the spirit that lives inside of him. I am the light of the world because I have the spirit of God living inside of me. So then he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And that's because he has the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so he gives his disciples authority. He says, go in pairs and cast out demons in my name, heal the sick in my name. And he gives them authority. And so they go and they do that. And then he says, once I go, you will do even greater things than I have done. Why? It's because he's speaking of the fact that when he ascends into heaven, he will send down the Holy Spirit. And so the same thing that made Jesus the light of the world, the reason he says, as long as I'm in the world, I'll be the light of the world, is because he said, it is good from you that I should go, because once I do, I will send down that which made me the light of the world. And so when he says to his disciples, you are the light of the world, he is foretelling of the day when he will ascend into heaven and they will receive the Spirit of God. And so it is the Spirit of God that allows us to be the light of the world, the same light that Jesus had. And so when we look at all the things that Jesus did, he's told his disciples, you will do even greater things than I have done. And he says that signs and wonders are to follow those who believe. And so why do we not see the same things today that we saw in his time? We're not utilizing the light that he gave us. We're not utilizing that which he gave us. And we put... We say that, you know, he did that because he was Jesus. He was God. No, he chose limitations. He chose to take on man. He had the spirit, which is the same thing that you and I have. And so not only are we able to do what Jesus did, he tells us that we are able to do even greater things than he did. And so the spirit living on the inside of you is what makes you the light of the world. Can I tell you my pet peeve this morning? My pet peeve is Christians who constantly complain about the state of the world. Constantly mope and gripe and complain about the state of the world. Do you know that you have the Spirit of God living inside of you? Do you know that we're called to share the light of Christ and that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us and that is the thing that gives us the light of the world? And so we say things like, you know, the world is worse now than it's ever been and and I sure wish God would do something. He did. And maybe you should stop whining and shine your light. He did when he created you. What he did is he picked you and I up out of the muck and the miry clay and he set our feet on the solid ground. And then he gave us the spirit of adoption which allows us to be the light of the world. And so I had an encounter with some Jehovah's Witnesses one time. And I did not know they were Jehovah's Witnesses. But uh, anyway, so... So they start off the conversation with, you know, they're talking about the the state of the world. And uh, they said, if the kingdom of God could do one thing for us right now, what would it be? And I said, well, he's already done it. He created you and he created me. And then he gave us the spirit. And then he handed us the, the keys to death, hell, and the grave that he took. And so the kingdom of God has already done what he's going to do. It's me and you. He's already done it. He's already saved us. He's already called us. He's already given us the very spirit of God. And so that is what the kingdom of God needs to do in our day is he's already done it. It's me and it's you. And she had no idea what I was talking about. I probably should have been when I come to realize the situation I was in, but I did not. Uh, And anyway, anyway. And so I said, 
uh, I said the kingdom of God has already done what they're going to do, and it's me and it's you. And so in our world, if we would spend as much time shining our light as we do complaining about it, we could make a difference. We could because we have the difference, and his name is Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit. And I was a teenager in high school when our youth group started a, a group in our high school called World Changers. And I was, I don't know, 16, 17, 18. And, uh, and God laid this on our heart all at the same time to do this. And uh, so we started, and it started out slow. And so we would just pray at break. We would, we would get all who wanted to come. We'd hold hands, and we'd pray at break. And we'd do devotions at Friday, Friday mornings, and we'd be praying at break, and people would be in fights like right beside us, just slugging it out. And we just kept on doing what we were doing. All we were doing is shining a light. And so people will, will rain on your parade and say, you can't change the world. You're just one person. No, but I can change my community. No, I can, I can do something as simple as hold hands with a bunch of teenagers and pray and shine my light. And we're scared. We're about to get hit upside the head and we just keep praying anyway. That's shining our light. And so we are called to be the light of the world. We are not called to sit around and complain about the state of the world because we have the answer and we are the answer. And so light is to illuminate all that is around it. Darkness has no place in light. Darkness cannot sustain where there is light. And so if we want to talk about the darknesses that is in the world, that is because you and I are not shining our light because darkness cannot stand in light. And so being the light of Christ to the world is truly abnormal. Why can't you just shut up? Why can't you just stay in your place? Well, it's because I was always called to be a city on a hill. It's because I was called to be peculiar. And I'm not, I'm just shining my light. That's all I'm doing. And I'm shining it in love, but I can't stand by and allow the enemy to have territory here. God told Joshua, everywhere that his feet went now belongs to God and belongs to him. And so I can go in the darkest of places and not fear because I know as soon as I step foot in there, it's God's territory. And it's my territory because God promised me that. And so that's what we're called to do is to shine our light. The fourth identifiable characteristic of a child of God is good works. And Matthew 5 and 14 says this. He says, you are the light of the world, a city, a city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So shining our light is done through our good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so he said the goal of good works there so that they may see your, your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The gospel does not require works. The gospel is through faith alone and Christ alone. But good works are to be produced through the gospel. The gospel does not... It does not require works, but it does produce works. And so the Bible says we are judged by the fruit that we bear. And so if I'm not producing fruit, I have to ask myself the question, am I connected to the vine? Because that is what is natural to those who are connected to the vine. And so you don't talk about abnormal. Good works is abnormal. Doing things simply because we we do it for the glory of God, that's our motive. That's abnormal to the world. And they don't understand it. And so we went to Beautiful Feet one year. And so 
good works nowadays and, and the love of Christ and the light of the world and all of these things nowadays are so rare that sometimes you'll blow people's mind just by doing really what God calls you to do. Simple. And so we were at Beautiful Feet. And uh, if you don't know, it's a ministry that serves the homeless in Fort Worth, Texas. And so uh, I think this is the first time I went. Anyway, we're serving breakfast. They cook breakfast, and we're taking it, and we're handing it out. And I'll never forget, I grabbed this man's breakfast, and I walked it over to him, and I took it to him, and he looked so confused. Like he was, he was trying to figure out what was going on. And he looked at me, and he looked at the food, and he looked at me, and he looked at the food, and he said, did you come all the way from Mississippi to feed me my breakfast? I said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, well, God bless you. And I'll never forget the way that that blew his mind because it was something simple. It was a simple sacrifice that I could have made. But we'll never know the fruit that came out of that. We'll never know what came out of that seed that was planted. And it was small. And it was insignificant. But something small, simply shining my light and simply through good works. But it is so rare nowadays that when it is shown, it blows people, people's mind like it did for his. And guys, I would say that's an indictment on the church. I would say that's an indictment on us is that when we do actually do what we're called to do, it shocks people. Because we've gotten so comfortable with Western Christianity that we have created and we've gotten so comfortable in it that we no longer actually do what we're called to do. And so John 1.27, he's talking to people who are religious. He's talking to people that were raised in Judaism. And he says, you call yourself religious, you call yourself religious, but this is what he says, pure and undefiled religion before God is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself understanding from the world. And so he tells them, look, you think you're somebody, but you're not, you're not doing good works. And if you want to know what true religion is to God, he says it's to look after the orphans and widows in their distress. It's works. And so he's writing to Jew, Jewish Christians who were raised in the law, and they thought, if I do all of these things for God, then I'm doing something. And God said, you can do all those things, and those are great. But you still haven't fulfilled the Great Commission. You still haven't done what I've called you to do. You still haven't shown your light. You still haven't done good works. And so it's not only important that we do God works, God also cares about our motives. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about the Pharisees who would do good works with bad motives. That's why the Bible says that he loves a cheerful giver. It's because if we're going to do good works begrudgingly, we might as well not do them. And if we're going to do... Good works with bad intentions and bad motives, they're pointless and they're useless. And God says, basically, look, you can keep that. He loves a cheerful giver. And so it's not it's equally important our works is our intentions, it's our motives. And so Colossians 3 and 23 says this. It says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord... You serve the Lord Christ. Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. That says that I was literally created for the purpose of doing good works. It is why we were created. And so James 2 and 14 through 24 says this. 
What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, in and of itself it is dead. How many times do we do things like that? Go and be blessed, I'm praying for you, yet we know what the need is and we don't feel it. And in the same way, faith, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons do and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by his works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a purpose is justified by works and not by faith alone. So that says we're saved by faith alone, but we're justified by our works. We're seen as abnormal from the world. We are separated by our good works, and we were created for good works. That's the reason that Jesus put us here. And number five, the fifth identifiable characteristic of a child of God is they're watchful and they're alert. First Thessalonians 5 and 5 through 6 says this. It says, you are all sons of light and sons of the day, and we are not sons of the night, and we are not of the, the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, do not let us sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And so when he speaks of being asleep, he's speaking of being indifferent. He's speaking of seeing things in our life and being asleep and not being sober and not being vigilant and not being ready. We can't stand by and be asleep and indifferent while the enemy comes in like a thief and steals everything that God has given us. And the enemy comes in and he steals everything that God has promised us and we're not watchful and we're not alert. So there are things that God has blessed us with, but it's our responsibility to watch over it and not allow the enemy to come in and steal it. And so when he speaks of being alert, the Greek word there is Gregorio, which means to stay awake. I would argue that, that Christians all over the world are asleep. They've received the spirit of, of adoption. They are in the family of God, but they are not watchful, and they are not alert, and they are not vigilant. The enemy comes in and he steals their joy, and they say, well, I guess it'll always be this way. And so, and they, they, maybe it's, it's a sickness, maybe it's mental, whatever it is, some form of, of not being whole. And they say, well, I guess it'll always be this way. I'm just going to have to accept this. I'm just going to accept that this is how it was meant to be. It doesn't have to be. God has already given us the spirit of adoption. And when we're adopted into his family, we have the right to speak those things off of us. We have the right to walk in victory and we have the right to walk in freedom and we don't have to tolerate those things that come into our life and so God did not call us to tolerate those things he wants us to walk in victory and we've been given power all we have to do is stay awake this is what Ezekiel 33 and 6 says it says however suppose the watchman sees the sword coming but doesn't doesn't blow the ram's horn so that the people aren't warned and the sword comes and take away takes away their lives 
Then they have been taken away because of their iniquity, but I will watch, I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. And so what they would do in the Old Testament is they would have what's called a watchman on the wall. And a watchman on, obviously they didn't have walkie talkies or sirens or any of that stuff. So what they would do is they would have a watchman on the wall and they would watch. And if there was somebody that would come in and would try to attack, they would blow the trumpet and they would let everybody know, hey, there's danger. And so you and I as Christians, and especially as parents, we're called to be watchmen on the wall. We're, care, we're called to watch what comes into our home. We're called to watch what comes into our mind. We're called to watch what comes into our heart. And we, we listen to junk, and we watch junk, and we take in junk, and then we wonder why it's affecting our life. It's because we're not watching. We're allowing these things to come in, and we're not sounding the alarm. We're just saying, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And so, if you do watch demonic stuff on TV and you allow your children to walk, walk in habitual sin, do not ask God why when you have junk in your house. You've allowed that stuff. And so, the world will call you abnormal. And growing up, uh, growing up, mom would come in and say, don't watch that. And I'd say, why? And she'd explain to me. She'd explain to me how... You know, what you're watching is real, and that's demonic. And there are certain things that we're going to watch and certain things that we're not going to watch. And you know what I'd say? Why you got to be so weird? I just want to watch it. Why you got to be so weird? And so another word for that is abnormal. What mom was doing, I didn't know it. She was being a watchman on the wall. And I didn't realize it, but she was saying, there are things that will not come into this house. And so I'm not going to allow the enemy to come in and steal what God has given me. I'm not going to allow that stuff to come in because the only power the enemy have is the power we give him. The Bible says he walks around as a lion. And so the only power he have is what you and I give him. And I'm reminded of, of Jesus and Pilate whenever Jesus is before Pilate and, and, and the Jews and everybody is throwing all these accusations at him and Pilate is asking him questions and Jesus just stays silent. And he's not, he's not defending himself because he doesn't have to. He's the son of God. And so Pilate basically says, boy, don't you know I have the power to have you killed? And Jesus said, don't get it twisted. The only power you have is what God gave you. And so all power belongs to us. And so if the enemy has any power over me, it's because I allowed him to. And it's because I gave it to him. And it's because I didn't watch what comes into my mind, what came into my ears, what comes into my house. I wasn't watching. And so then, because... She was a watchman on the wall. One day, me, dad, and my brothers went to go watch a movie in the movies. And we were so excited to go watch this movie. And uh, paid for the movie, obviously. So excited to go watch this movie. And uh, we sat down. Had no way of knowing the stuff that was going to be in the movie. And we sat down, and five minutes in, <laughs> we look at each other like. And we got up and walked out. Now, I would argue with you that if that wasn't instilled in us, that we wouldn't have done it. And so it's small decisions like that that you have to make on behalf of your family to be a watchman on the wall. And one day you'll see the fruit from that. One day you'll see them grow up and walk in that just like you did. But right now they don't have to understand it. And they don't get an opinion because they're kids. And you tell them these are things that is going to come into our house and these are things that are not going to come into our house. This is the kind of stuff we are going to watch and this we're not going to watch. We're not going to talk like this and we're not going to do this. And so we're called to be watchmen on the wall. And as parents especially, this is all individualistic, 
but especially as parents in, in our home, that's our responsibility. And just like it says in Ezekiel, when he comes in and, and he comes in the fortress, whose blood is that on? The watchman. And so if there's things that are in my home, that's on me. That's on me. I'm not being a watchman on the wall like I'm called to be. And so not only are we called to be watchmen on the wall as families, we're called to be watchmen on the wall individualistically for my own life. I have to watch what comes into my mind. I have to watch what comes into my ears. And I, ha I hear people ask me all the time, why does it matter what I listen to if I'm not going to say what they're saying and I'm not going to do what they're doing? It's because you are allowing that stuff inside of you. And so don't be surprised when you walk in the flesh, when you start carrying out the desires of the flesh, because that's what you're feeding yourself. And so if I want to carry out the desires of, if I want to carry out the fruits of the Spirit, I have to fill myself with the Spirit. There's only so much time you can spend filling yourself up with garbage before garbage is what starts to come out. And if I don't like what's coming out, that, that means that something is going in that's not of God. And so I have to be watchful, and I have to be alert, and I have to be careful what I let into my mind, what I let into my ears. I have to be careful what thoughts I allow to stay in my mind. You have authority over your mind. You don't have to think those thoughts that the enemy brings in and just says, I'm just going to deal with it. You don't have to. The Bible says to take thoughts captive. And that word that it says captive, that in the original translation literally means to hold a spear to and drive out. And so when there's a thought that comes into my brain, I can say, nope, I'm not, I'm not thinking that, and I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm going to be watchful over this temple. And so I have to be watchful, and I have to be alert, and I have to be vigilant. And so I heard something really wise one time. Somebody told me, don't complain about what you tolerate. Don't complain about what you allow. And so I cannot complain about the state of my house I cannot complain about the way my kids are living. I cannot complain about what's coming out of my mouth if I'm letting that come into my home and I'm letting that come into my temple. And so I can't complain about what I've tolerated. I can't go to God and say, God, why are my kids living like this? It's because you have failed as a watchman on the wall. And I can't go to God and say, God, why, why are you allowing me to still say that stuff? Why are you allowing me to still talk like that? He's already done his part. You're just still taking in junk. And then you wonder why junk is coming out. And I promise I'm not being judgmental because this, this is a daily battle that we all have to do. We all have to be vigilant every day. We have to be awake. We can't be asleep. We have to be watchful. We have to be sober. We have to be alert of what's going on. And we have to be alert of what the enemy is trying to bring into our home. And so Jesus is coming back for a bride that is abnormal. Jesus is coming back for a bride that is abnormal. And Romans 12 says this. He says, do not be conformed to the world. And what he's saying is, look, never allow yourself to become normal. Never allow yourself to tolerate what the world says is okay. Don't conform to them. Don't conform to them. Be abnormal. And so I'm so sick of the church trying to blend in. I'm so sick of the church trying to be normal trying to blend in, and trying to take on the culture of the world. And if Paul, I promise you, if Paul was to visit the church in America right now, we'd be getting a letter. And he'd say, why are you trying to be so normal? Do you not know that God called you to be peculiar? Do you not know that God called you to be abnormal? Why are you taking on that stuff? Why are you saying this is okay? 
Why are you allowing this to come into your churches? Why are you allowing this to be normal? You were never called to be abnormal. And so there are certain characteristics of children of God that we have to live in. And so all of these characteristics, they're abnormal to the world. They don't understand it. And so, and sometimes when you're instilling this into your family, like we talked about earlier, they won't understand it either, and that's okay. And I didn't understand it. But I had parents who held the line, and I had parents who said, this is what it is going to look like here, and we're going to live for God, and this is what we're going to do. And so these characteristics, there's so much pressure from the world to be normal. I don't think the world is worse than it's ever been because there was a time where God could only find one righteous dude on the whole planet and had to take it all out. But I do think there's more pressure now than it's ever been to be normal. I do think there's more pressure now than it's ever been to tolerate certain things and to, and to say this is okay and to not be weird and to not buck the system. But I believe that that's exactly what God has called us to do. I believe he's called us to be abnormal. I believe he's called us to be peculiar. So will you stand with me? And so these are some questions to ask yourself. Am I broadcasting the love of God to the people around me? Am I showcasing the love of Christ to the people around me? Am I illuminating the lives of the people around me through the light of Christ, the Spirit of God that I have inside of me? Am I producing good works with good motives? And am I watchful and am I alert of what I allow into my life? If any of those questions you say, well, that's something I need to work on, I would tell you that because those are characteristics of your father, the more time you spend with your father, the more you start to look like him, the more you start to talk like him, the more you start to walk like him. And the more time you spend with him, you'll start to share some characteristics with him. It'll become natural. It'll become natural that the more you spend time with him, the more you become like him. And so if any of those questions we just asked and any of those characteristics that we talked about, if you say, you know, I'm not sure I always walk in that. That's what we're called to walk in. And I would tell you that you don't have to strive and you don't have to continue to beat yourself up with the things that you're struggling with. And I would tell you that the reason that you're not walking in these characteristics is because you're not spending enough time with the Father. The more I spend time with God and the more He speaks into my life, the more I become like Him. The Bible says that He will give us the desires of our heart, but that's only because as we spend time with Him, He changes those desires. He changes what I want. The things that I used to lust after aren't even appealing anymore. Alcohol won't taste good the more time I spend with Him. Cheating on my wife won't even be appealing the more time I spend with Him. And so all these things that we struggle with, they all become minimized the more time I spend with the Father because I start to look like Him. I start to talk like Him. I start to want what He wants, and our desires start to line up. And so I'll, I'll leave you with this. Uh, I heard one lady say she's, she's, for our church in the state, she's done a lot of awesome uh, women's ministries type things. And uh, through our, our licensing program, we had all of these soon-to-be pastors in the state all together, and, and she was there speaking and she told us her mantra for ministry. This is what she's lived by. And she encouraged us to do the same. 
And with tears in her eyes, she said that she lived her life with the mindset that I refuse to live and die and not make a mark for Jesus Christ. And so I'll tell you the same thing and reword it. I refuse to live and die and not be considered abnormal. I refuse to live and die and fit into what the world says. This is, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is how you're supposed to talk. This is how you're supposed to walk. This is how you're supposed to live. I refuse to conform to that. I refuse to live the way they've called us to live. I'm going to live like God called me to live. And I'm not of this world. And so it's not strange for me not to live like this world because I was never of this world. And Naaman comes to Jesus and he says, how am I, how am I going to be born again? He says, you've got to be born of the Spirit. And when we take on that rebirth, we receive that spirit of adoption. We start to have characteristics of our Father. And from that moment, it's not just a snap of the finger and we start to instantly walk in these characteristics. It's the more time I spend with Him, the more I start to look like Him. The more time I spend with Him, the more I want to show the love of Christ. The more time I spend with Him, the more good works and, and shining my light and being watchful and all of those things just becomes normal. Will you pray with me, Father? As we devote to, to spend more time with you so that we look more like you and we sound more like you and we walk more like you. God, we ask you that you would help us to, to withstand under the pressure of, of being normal. That pressure that the world puts on us. God, help us to understand that we're perfectly abnormal. Help us to understand that you called us to be peculiar, that you called us to stand out, that you called us to live a life that is not always going to be accepted. And you told us if they hated me, then they're surely going to hate you. So God, help us to to live that life that you've called us to live, even when it's, it comes with a cost and it comes with a price. God, help us to walk it out. Help us to show the characteristics of our Father so that we can shine our light in this world and make the difference and be the world changers that you've called us to be in our community, in our churches, in our homes, for ourselves. Help us to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.